You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the week six edition of Falado on Football, brought to you on the great Big Blue View Radio Network and SB Nation platform. For the now, one in five New York Giants. Yes, that's right. The Giants defeat the Washington football team 20 to 19 in such a dry, insipid fashion. But we have to take wins any way we can get them as Giants fans because this team and winning aren't a compatible outcome so far in 2020. This was a battle of two football teams that can sustain uninspiring drives and finish by only putting three points on the board. Washington had a 14, 13, 12, 11, and 10 play drive. New York had the one double-digit play drive that ended in that very questionable interception. That was a 14-play drive. And I'm honestly not about bashing the refs all the time, but I have absolutely no idea what they could have seen to force that play to stand. Fuller's arm clearly lands in the white. And I'm cool with the refs calling it a touchdown to force a review, but how can that stand? It just does not make any sense whatsoever. I bet Washington would not have challenged that if it was ruled differently on the field. It made no sense. As for the Giants' defense, it was bend, don't break, sort of, especially outside of that end of the first half when Logan Thomas capped off the 13-play drive with a nice catch in the back of the end zone over Julian Love, who did not look all that great today. Also, there was the drive to force the would-be tie, where the defense was a bit porous. A bunch of little dink and dunks led the football team to have a chance against New York in that situation. And the Giants' defense really, I mean, you look at it holistically, earned this win, which shouldn't really be a surprise. Washington had Kyle Allen as their damn signal caller at quarterback, and that's what I call tautology. Anyways, even with this team led by Allen on the road, Washington was able to outgain New York 337 to 240 yards, while also outpossessing the Giants 33 and a half minutes was their time of possession. The Giants was 26 minutes. The Giants' defense was just very opportunistic. Bradbury had a pick, and he just missed getting a second. The pick he had set up the 23-yard touchdown to Darius Slayton on the third and six. It was a very nice throw from Jones on that one. And by far, the biggest play of this game was the defense, the strip sack fumble for a touchdown on the third and nine by Kyler Fackrell and Tay Crowder, who did not look spry running down the field, but I don't care. Because he put six on the board. Giants needed it at the time, obviously. Crowder scooped and scored. I feel like this rarely happens for the Giants. They got a good bounce and capitalized when we needed them to. When the score was 13-13. to Big play by Mr. Irrelevant. We also saw Cam Brown also get some defensive snaps. Looked pretty solid. He's very adept on special teams as well. You could just see it on punt, kickoff, all really any facet of special teams. You see 47 flying around out there. That's a good six-round pick. And I respect Riverboat Ron for trying to secure a win on the road against a division rival. They went for two. Credit to Patrick Graham and that defense for shutting down Washington on that two-point conversion. The Giants could have easily lost this game. But I'm glad Joe Judge received his first win. Now that monkey's off his back. It's tough to win in the NFL, and the Giants aren't a good football team. 
They have pieces to work with, all right? They're not that good, though. James Bradbury is playing like the best corner in football right now. Blake Martinez is a tackling machine. He's everywhere. Logan Ryan is the quarterback of the secondary, and he makes plays all over the field. The defensive line of Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson, and even B.J. Hill and Austin Johnson at times, it's a very good rotation. But the offense, it's hurting. No Saquon. No Sterling Shepard. The offensive line can't sufficiently protect Daniel Jones. And there's not a lot of talented, skilled position players on this team. I see a lot of people bashing the Giants coaching staff for being too conservative, and I get it. I really do. I like my coach to have some ingenuity and some aggressiveness, but I feel like the context of this team must be taken into account. The Giants' fourth overall selection, who was benched most of this game for being late to a meeting, is playing terribly. Honestly, Parrott looked better than him. I haven't done the All-22 yet, but from what I saw, Parrott looks better than him. Cameron Fleming is nothing more than a replacement-level player. Darius Slayton in this game was hobbled C.J. Board, a player that shouldn't be out there, got hurt. Every time the Giants try and pass deep, Jones is forced out of the pocket or he's hit or he's sacked. There's not a lot to work with in terms of being overly aggressive earlier in the game. And I wasn't in love with the punt from the 43 from Judge. But the previous play was a loss of one yard. And your team is up by three with a whole half to go. The conservative nature may just be a byproduct of the lack of confidence this coaching staff, including Jason Garrett, has in this offense's ability to pick up short yardage in these types of situations. And they can't do anything through the air either. And I totally get that. It's difficult. This team has no continuity on the offensive side of the football. And I'm getting a little tired of just blaming the fact that it was COVID-19 because everybody had to deal with that. But this young team with no normal training camp it's definitely affected the product, especially when you compound all that with the injuries the Giants have suffered at key positions on offense. Man, I said this on my other podcast. Andrew Thomas looks worse than Nate Solder does from last year. Nate Solder gave up some terrible, terrible inside moves. Andrew Thomas has done that basically every game. Except for Pittsburgh, I felt like he was solid. But he's done that the majority of the time this year. It's just Daniel Jones has done a better job evading the pocket. And that's something that he can still work on. And you got to look at that interception that Jones threw, but didn't throw, but apparently threw, although we all clearly saw that it was out of bounds. Anyways, that pick was on a first and goal at the seven-yard line. And it was due to the offensive line being bad and skilled position players that shouldn't be playing 40-plus snaps a game. That cannot create enough separation, and Jones has to run for his life because the offensive line cannot do its job. They cannot execute their assignments in order to allow Daniel Jones to have the success that he possibly could if he had a solid offensive line. We can't forget, also, how bad the current state of this Barkley and Shepherdless offense really is. It's not great. And a lot of it, is put on Jones, and he has to overcome a lot of tough situations. And I love how he uses his legs. This is another week where he is the leading rusher. Seven rushes for 74 yards. Freeman had 18 carries for 61 yards in this game. Jones throws for 112 yards. He was 12 of 19. Didn't throw all that much. That's by design. It's because the Giants' offensive line cannot block Montez Sweat, Chase Young, and Ryan Kerrigan enough for success. It's that simple. Kerrigan had the one sack. Consider that a miracle, but that's because of an uber-conservative game plan that led to the Giants winning. Even though the Giants almost didn't win this game, they still won the game. 
all a byproduct of a terrible offensive line. That's why you have these receivers. Darius Slayton, 2 for 41 and a touchdown, 4 targets. Evan Ingram, 2 for 30 on 3 targets, 1 to open the game, which I like that aggressive play call. A little play action, get Evan Ingram going across the field on a 7 route, going towards the sideline. Caden Smith, 3 for 15, 3 targets. But then you got guys like C.J. Board, Austin Mack, Golden Tate, who looks washed. He looks washed out there. There is not a lot of talent here, my friends, ladies and gentlemen, whoever you guys want to be addressed. That's why the Giants, despite not winning in all the statistical categories, you felt like the Giants outplayed the Washington football team, yet the Washington football team was in a position to possibly go to overtime if Riverboat Ron decided to kick the extra point with Dustin Hopkins. Did not happen. Giants end up winning. That's football. But this is not a good football team. And the Giants, I mean, let's think about it. Who's going to get that number one pick? It's going to be the New York Jets. They're so bad. Such a bad football team. They just got trounced out of Miami. Shut out. Would not be shocked. By the time you guys are listening to this, Adam Gase is fired. And I don't even know if the talent on that roster is enough to have one of those revitalized Houston Texans kind of situations or Atlanta Falcons type of situations where coach gets fired, they go out the next week and win. Because the talent there is not good. Joe Douglas, have fun trying to rebuild that roster. But the New York Jets, they have to have that number one pick. But what other teams are going to be up for it? It's going to be the Washington football team. It's going to be the New York Giants, possibly the Jacksonville Jaguars. You look at the Atlanta Falcons, I think they're better than what their record is, that 1-5 record. But all those teams are going to be picking around the top six. And you have Trevor Lawrence, who's like an Andrew Luck type of prospect out there. And I know a lot of Giant fans are already talking about tanking. I'm not there. I want to see this team win. This coaching staff's not going to be here for one year. It's a culture thing. You don't want your team to lose, especially in a division that is still winnable, as crazy as that is. And I don't think the Giants deserve to win this division, but the Philadelphia Eagles are not good. And you get to play them on Thursday night football in less than a week. And the Dallas Cowboys are not that great. And guess what? They have a backup quarterback now. I like Andy Dalton. I think he's good. He's not Dak Prescott. So good win for the Giants. But there are a lot of just unfortunate things about this roster. They got the win. It's hard to come by. Guess we can enjoy it and then focus on this upcoming matchup at Philadelphia on Thursday Night Football. And then to move on to the Denver Broncos going to the New England Patriots and winning, beating Bill Belichick and Cam Newton. It's not Jared Stidham. It's not Brian Hoyer. Not Tom Brady. But Cam Newton defeated him. And damn, Patriots looked so out of sync. We're talking about week 17 down in Miami. I've been partying all night, kind of discombobulated. Newton was sacked four times, threw two picks, fumbled the football twice. Luckily, he fell on it once. The Patriots just couldn't get anything going on the ground with their running backs. But Cam had 70-plus yards rushing, 76 yards to be exact, 10 attempts, and a touchdown. But they couldn't do anything through the air. Julian Edelman looks beat up out there, despite having a bye week. He had six targets, only caught two of them, modest gain. And Drew Locke tried to give this game away in the second quarter through two picks, second half, I should say, which put the Patriots into a position to almost win this game. The final score, 18-12, to which is very gross-looking for a football score. Belichick went for it. Early in the third quarter, 
two-point conversion resulted in Cam Newton getting stuffed. It just wasn't great for the Patriots. Then they looked bad. They looked bad. But you got to give credit to Vic Fangio. No one gave them a chance. So many survivor pools were probably just blown up. And good on them. They got Drew Locke back. Weren't really able to do that much on offense. Didn't have Melvin Gordon. Philip Lindsay rushed for over 100 yards in New England against the Patriots defense. Got to give him credit there. Tim Patrick actually had over 100 yards receiving, not Jerry Judy. Denver was able to possess the ball. They were able to methodically move the football. And their defense just forced Cam Newton to check down to guys like James White and not allow guys like Keneal Harry or Julian Edelman to do anything downfield. So credit to the Broncos. Then we had the Browns and the Steelers. And a lot of people thought, hmm, 4-1 Browns get to go into Pittsburgh and play the 4-0 Steelers. This could be a battle for the division, even though we have Baltimore just there too. But it wasn't even close to that. It wasn't a battle. Not at all. Instead, Pittsburgh Steelers dropped a 38-burger on the Cleveland Browns, had a pick six early on in the game, Minka Fitzpatrick. Baker Mayfield looked terrible, threw for 119 yards, had a touchdown. And Ben Roethlisberger, from a fantasy standpoint, didn't do all that much, 162 yards passing, one touchdown. But they just ran the ball every which way they wanted to on this Browns defense. James Conner, 20 carries, 101 yards, touchdown. Benny Snell, touchdown. Chase Claypool, rushing touchdown. James Washington had the receiving touchdown, was 4 for 68. Claypool caught all four of his targets. It was just Pittsburgh dominated from the onset. I mean, it went into halftime up 24 to 7 and scored two more touchdowns in the third and fourth quarter to force the 38-7 win for the Pittsburgh Steelers at home. And Odell Beckham Jr. ended up getting dinged up in this game. He had four targets, two for 25 is what he caught. Baker Mayfield had to leave this game partly because they were just getting beaten really bad, but it's also because Baker Mayfield entered this game with a rib injury. He did look uncomfortable, but that's what Pittsburgh's defense does. He was sacked four times in this game. Was not great whatsoever for the Cleveland Browns. Just watching it as I was watching the Giants. I have Red Zone on one television. I have the Giants on the other television. Paying really close attention to the Giants. But every time I saw it, it was either Baker Mayfield making a mistake or Pittsburgh possessing the ball. Because Pittsburgh had the ball for 34 minutes in this game. Cleveland turned the ball over twice in this game. That's kind of how it goes. And Cleveland did end up getting into the end zone once. That was on a Baker Mayfield touchdown pass to Rashad Higgins, his only touchdown of the day. Not great for Pittsburgh, but they're 4-2 now, which is not terrible. It's not. They're in a really good division, but remember, there's seven teams that make the playoffs this year in each conference, not six. So Cleveland can possibly squeeze in as the third team in the AFC North. But they have to go to Cincinnati and play the Bengals next week. And then they have to host the Raiders, host the Texans, and host the Eagles. They have three home games in a row before going on a two-game road trip. Now, they can beat the Bengals, but they can lose to the Bengals next week. That's going to be a telling game. Because if they could be 5-2 and two going into a homestand with the Raiders, Texans, and Eagles, three winnable games, three games they could possibly lose. They might be looking really good in the AFC North. But Baker's going to have to be healthy. Baker's going to have to play better. They're going to need to be able to establish the run with Kareem Hunt. Something that is very difficult to do when you play the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
Alrighty, before I go on to the next games, please, let's take a minute to hear a word from our lovely sponsors here at SB Nation. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. The Detroit Lions come off their bye, go down to Jacksonville, and teach the Jaguars a lesson. And they beat them 34-16. Matt Stafford looked pretty good in this affair. Threw for just over 220 yards with a touchdown and an interception. But it was the DeAndre Swift show. He had 14 carries, two touchdowns on the ground for 116 yards. I figured they would implement him after the bye week a little more here and there. Because it's been Adrian Peterson all season. You just spent a second round pick. On DeAndre Swift, he spent a second-round pick on Carrion Johnson two years ago. He barely touches the ball anymore. And Swift was able to come out of the bye and get into the end zone against this team that is not all that great, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They came out hot. They won week one. They beat Indianapolis. They shocked a lot of people. They haven't won since. They've been competitive, but they haven't won since. And Gardner Minshew in this game, a little bit more modest from what we usually see. Threw for 243 yards, had a touchdown, had an interception. DJ Chark. Saw 14 targets in this game. Caught 7 of them for 45 yards. Been dealing with an ankle injury. But Keelan Cole had 6 for 143. A lot of it in garbage time. LaVisca Chenault didn't do as much as a lot of us hoped in the fantasy community. 7 targets. You'd like to see that. He only caught 3 of them for 10 yards. Only got the 1 carry for 1 yard. (laughs) So not exactly excellent. But James Robinson was able to fall into the end zone and salvage the fantasy day from that standpoint. Which is pretty good. When you look at the Detroit receivers, Matt Stafford just spread the ball around to several different guys, all receiving targets and catches. Kenny Galladay, Danny Amendola, Adrian Peterson, TJ Hawkinson, Carrion Johnson, Jamal Agnew, Marvin Jones Jr., DeAndre Swift, Marvin Hall, Jesse James. That's a lot of guys. <laughs> that is. But Detroit, they kind of led the entire game, took an early lead, 24-3 lead, Jacksonville was able to climb back into it, 24-10. But then Detroit led a nine-play drive for 75 yards and extended their lead to 31-10 after a touchdown to DeAndre Swift, one of his touchdowns. So Detroit goes to 2-3, and three, a team that honestly could have been on my mind picking in the top five. Still is. Not a great football team. But they got this good road win, and they just watched the Green Bay Packers get beat on the road. But, I mean, when you look at that division, look at Minnesota, who lost as well. You look at the Chicago Bears, a team that 
has been playing way above what any of us expected. And won again, 5-1 and one on the road against Carolina. You say, huh, very interesting division. But Detroit isn't that great of a team. They get to play at the Falcons next week, and then they get to host the Colts before going to the Vikings and then hosting the Washington football team. Then we have the Houston Texans and the Tennessee Titans, where the Titans won this game in overtime, 42-36. to This was the onslaught of fantasy points in this game. Deshaun Watson threw for 335 yards and four touchdowns. Touchdowns to Will Fuller, Darren Fells, Brandon Cooks, and Randall Cobb. Darren Fells was 6 for 85, Fuller 6 for 123, Brandon Cooks 9 for 68, Randall Cobb 3 for 17. But it wasn't enough. And it was almost enough, but Romeo Cornell and his 1-5 team, they got a little greedy. Got a little greedy. They could have kicked an extra point and went up by 8 instead. They went for 2, tried to seal it, did not get it. And Tennessee drove down the field, scored a touchdown, forced overtime. And scored another touchdown, thanks to Derrick Henry, who had 22 carries for 212 yards and two touchdowns with a 94-yard run. That was absolutely incredible. Wasn't even just gaining the edge and outrunning people. He basically cuts it upfield and turns the Jets on and flies past safeties, linebackers, corners. Once that guy gets rolling, good luck. Ryan Tannehill, 364, four touchdowns in this game. Touchdown to Anthony Ferkser, who was 8 for 113. Adam Humphrey, 6 for 64. And then two touchdowns to A.J. Brown, who was 5 for 56. Seven targets. Now, Romeo Cornell, again, like I said with Riverboat Ron, I admire the fact that he's trying to get that win. You do not play in the NFL to lose games. But they went for it on the road. Did not get it. Instead of scoring 14 points in the fourth quarter, he scored 13, allowing Tennessee to tie it up. Tennessee receives. Tennessee wins. Happens. On to the Bengals and the Colts. Now, this game was really interesting because the Bengals took an early lead in this game. They were up 14-0, and then the Colts had a 21-point second quarter to go into halftime down 24-21. to And then the fourth quarter, Indianapolis was able to score 10 points. But Joe Burrow had a rushing touchdown. He didn't have any through the air, but they were looking good. They were moving the football. T. Higgins looks like an absolute star. A.J. Green actually had his first game of the season where it wasn't an absolute embarrassment to start him. 11 targets, 8 receptions, 96 yards. Joe Mixon at 18 carries for 54 and a tutty. Joe Giovanni Bernard, the pandemic special himself, falls into the end zone. And the Bengals were just able to move the football against this really good Indianapolis Colts defense. But it just did not last. It didn't last. It was the game of Trey Burton. Trey Burton had one touchdown through the air. He had one touchdown rushing on a zone read. It took Phillip Rivers. They split him out wide. Not a threat, but they did. Trey Burton. Zone reads it. Runs it right up the gut for a touchdown. Jack Doyle had a touchdown in this game. And Marcus Johnson went 5 for 108. You never really see anything about T.Y. Hilton. He had one catch for 11 yards, five targets. Do not be starting him in your fantasy leagues, guys. Just do not do it. And Phillip Rivers threw for 371 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Can't really push the ball vertical. Still has some nice sideline throws. Kind of crazy when you think about it. Able to lead this team back. Granted, they're at home, and it is the Bengals, another team that's going to be picking in the top five, team I did not mention before, but they're not going to be in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes with someone like Joe Burrow, because Joe Burrow is an absolute stud. Jonathan Taylor, modest. He averaged five yards carry, but he only gets like 12 carries, 60 yards. Expected a little bit more from him. 
hasn't necessarily done that quite yet. But good on Cincinnati Bengals for some turnovers. Good on the Colts to force some turnovers, which we know that that defense is supposed to do, but they did it in some key situations to stop the Bengals. So there has to be something to be said for that, right? Speaking of something to be said, the ultra-conservative Baltimore Ravens almost blew their lead to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Ravens were kicking the crap out of the Eagles. The Battle of the Birds in similar areas because, you know, Maryland, Baltimore, not that far from Philly. But Baltimore, after going up by 24 points, just decided to go really conservative, stop throwing the football. I mean, Lamar Jackson only had 186 yards passing. That's like what he has every week. It's very, very frustrating. Luckily, he had nine carries for 108 yards and a touchdown on the ground. He went ultra-conservative, and Philly was able to come back in the fourth quarter, make this a game. Missed the two-point conversion, though, which was very unfortunate. They had to go for it because the final score was 30-28. to But they scored 22 points, the Philadelphia Eagles did, in the fourth quarter. Carson Wentz, who looked really shaky early on, was sacked six times. Two for 213 yards, two touchdowns, had a rushing touchdown with 49 yards rushing. And then Travis Fulgham, just being a stud, 10 targets. Zach Ertz, 10 targets. Fulgham had six catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown, all in the fourth quarter, essentially. Not necessarily, but a lot of it was. Zach Ertz, four for 33 on those 10 targets. Baltimore, I mean, Mark Ingram ends up getting dinged up in this game, so it's just J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, who had 14 carries for 26 yards, gross, but he had a touchdown. And the rest was kind of just Lamar Jackson. They just stopped throwing the football a lot in the second half. Keep running those trick plays that we talked about, though, with Devin Duvernay. It's interesting. Those little touch passes. He had one for 17 yards that day. And his defense was all over Philly for three quarters. Good on the Eagles, though, for getting hot in the fourth quarter. Almost earning this win at home against a very, very good team. But they dropped to 1-4-1. Baltimore is 5-1. Second in their division behind Pittsburgh. But, man. Whew. Lamar Jackson. Guy barely throws for over 200 yards. It's very, very frustrating if you're a fantasy owner of Lamar Jackson. But, hey, he gets it done on his legs. Gets 25-plus points anyways, depending on what leagues you're in. But that's just the way it is. So the Philadelphia Eagles, now only half game above the New York Giants. 1-4-1. and one. Nuts, right? <laughs> the NFC East is so bad. All right. We also have the Atlanta Falcons beating the Minnesota Vikings 40-23. to It was the Julio Jones and Matthew Ryan show. And both those guys have not done anything in quite some time. So you can imagine why some people would be very, very frustrated if they started them against them in fantasy. But Matt Ryan, 371 yards, four touchdowns. Vikings defense, absolutely atrocious. The Atlanta Falcons scored 10 points in each quarter. Hmm. Very, very on cue there. Todd Gurley didn't do much. 20 carries for 47 yards. Julio Jones had a really, really cheap touchdown. Another really, really nice touchdown early on in the first quarter. But he ends his day 8 for 137 and 2 touchdowns. And this was just a game where basically the Vikings just had garbage time, scored 16 points in the fourth quarter, where Justin Jefferson had 9 for 166 and 2 touchdowns, but really didn't do that much when the game was competitive, if you even want to call it that in the first half, because it really wasn't, because the Atlanta Falcons was just all over the Vikings. I mean, the Falcons' defense was all over Kirk Cousins, who threw for 343 yards and 3 touchdowns, garbage touchdowns. Had three interceptions, though. Just looked absolutely terrible. 
I remember Alexander Madison. Everybody was talking Alexander Madison. Oh, Alexander Madison's going to get all his carries. Oh, he's got 10 carries for 26 yards. Game script went against him. But so many people spent so much fab on Alexander Madison in fantasy thinking that it would sure up a win. It was nothing but a detriment to your team. One catch for four yards, two targets. Got you less than five points in half-point PPR leagues. Terrible. Terrible. Calvin Ridley also found the end zone, as did Hayden Hurst. Hurst ended up catching four of four targets, 57 yards, that one tutty. Calvin Ridley had seven targets, caught six of them for 61, and that tutty in Russell Gage was four for 65 on four targets. But Minnesota, bad football team. They looked competitive. Sunday night football against Seattle. But they're not that great. They could be picking in that top five. Falcons, I believe, are better than their record. We'll see what they are able to do. They're still one and five as well. A lot of bad football teams out there. Some of them will rise a little bit. Some of them will fall. But the Vikings, yeah, that's a letdown at home. A huge letdown at home. Kirk Cousins not looking good whatsoever. Very, very frustrating if you're a Vikings fan to have to endure that. Then we have the Chicago Bears beating the Carolina Panthers 23-16. to Teddy Bridgewater threw an interception in the fourth quarter to kind of seal the victory for the Chicago Bears. This was just kind of a gross offensive affair. I mean, the defenses each had multiple turnovers. Nick Foles threw a pick. Teddy Bridgewater threw two picks. Mike Davis was 18 for 52 and a touchdown on the ground. DJ Moore was 5 for 93. Robbie Anderson, 4 for 77. DJ Moore actually had 11 targets, which is great to see. Allen Robinson was only 5 for 53, 9 targets. Just couldn't really get much going against this defense. Much more of a defensive game. I mean, Carolina had three field goals, scored the one touchdown with Mike Davis. And Chicago had three field goals. And their two touchdowns was one was Nick Foles, a rushing touchdown where it looked like David Montgomery got in, but probably not. And then Cole Komet had his first touchdown of the season. The good old Golden Domer scoring. But other than that, man, there wasn't a lot going on. It was not a sexy game from a fantasy standpoint. 23-16 never really is. But the Chicago Bears, 5-1. Got to give credit where credit is due, right? 5-1 in that division. And the Packers just lost the way they did, embarrassingly. We'll go over that in a little bit. Carolina, a lot of people thought they would be in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Not necessarily. Carolina's 3-3. Three and three. Very competitive in a lot of these games. The games are losing. They're competitive and not getting embarrassed. Now, next game, they get the Saints at the Saints, coming off of a bye. Not a great spot to be in. Very losable game. Then they get to play the Falcons again in prime time. So, have some things there. Some things to watch. It's going to be Thursday night football. That primetime game. It's two weeks from now. Obviously, we have the Giants on Thursday Night Football this week. Carolina, we'll get to see a little, little bit of them. Maybe Christian will be back eventually, hopefully soon, for anybody who's a Christian McCaffrey owner. Then we have the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets. We got to see Tua Tagovailoa. I think that's pretty cool, right? The Jets had a chance to kick a field goal to not get shut out. Elected not to. Went for it. Pass batted down. I think it was a pass to Brashad Perriman on that play. Miami didn't even dominate necessarily just from defense. It's just offensive ineptitude from the Jets, who are the only defeated team in football. The only team without a win. The same city as our beloved New York Giants. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 191 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. Miles Gaskin, 18 for 91, no touchdowns. And Mike Kosicki got a big goose egg. But his backups, Durham Smythe and Adam Shaheen, each had a touchdown. So that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Not necessarily. 
As for the New York Jets, they just can't get anything going on offense. Jameson Crowder had 13 targets, caught 7 of them for 48 yards. I mean, it's unfortunate for the Jets. They're a much worse football team than the New York Giants, and the Giants are not good at all. And Joe Flacco threw the ball 44 times, 186 yards. He was only sacked three times. One of the times he lost 26 yards, knocked him out of field goal range. Sam Thicken missed another field goal. Shut out. It's embarrassing. It really is. But that's the current state of New York football. Ugh. Man. What are you going to do, right? I'm not going to even say that again in this game. Got Avery Williamson, at least if you're a Jet fan, who flies around the field, makes some solid plays. But hopefully the future will be bright if they get Trevor Lawrence, which it looks like they will. Because I don't see this team winning a game. I do not see the New York Jets winning a football game. I don't know where it's going to come. They would have to squeak one out against Miami if Miami was out drinking the whole night before. Jets' schedule is not good. And they got some revenge games in here with Le'Veon Bell because they got the Chiefs in two weeks at Arrowhead. Next week, they have the Bills in New York. They have the Patriots in three weeks at the Chargers, and then versus the Dolphins, then versus the Raiders, then at Seattle, then at the Rams, then versus the Browns, then at the Patriots. Where is there a win? It's going to be hard to get one. We might see a winless team, an 0-16 team in New York. And New York sports is just not fun right now. But you know who's having fun? Tom Brady's having fun. Because the Packers, who were total frauds last year, they had an excellent record. But they couldn't play on the road. They got beat up and bullied. Well, they went down to Tampa Bay and got beat up and bullied. And actually, they scored 10 points in the first quarter. Defense looked good. Aaron Rodgers throws a pick six to Jamel Dean. Next thing you know, they couldn't do anything offensively. Can't get the ball to Robert Tanyan. Can't get the ball to Devontae Adams. Can't establish any sort of running game. Tim Boyle got put in the game in the fourth quarter. Blaine Gabbert for Tampa Bay got put in the game in the fourth quarter. Tampa Bay scored 28 points in the second quarter. Dominated. Ronald Jones, 23 for 113. Two touchdowns on the ground. Looked very, very explosive. Very explosive. Robert Gronkowski had five catches for 78 yards. Got his first touchdown in Tampa Bay as a Buccaneer. Had eight targets in this game. Chris Godwin, five for 48, seven targets. Mike Evans, one for 10, two targets. Didn't even need to throw the football that much. Good old Minnesota Golden Gopher. Tyler Johnson found the end zone. Good for him. Loved watching him in college. Thought he was a really talented player. And as for the Packers, they just couldn't do anything offensively after jumping up to a 10-0 lead. Nothing was working. Tampa Bay was all over them. JVP looking like a stud out there. And yeah, they sacked Aaron Rodgers four times. Then David Bakhtiari ends up leaving the game with an injury. And by that point, there was time left on the clock, but there's no reason to put your quarterback into position to get killed with some young tackle out there with no David Bakhtiari in that pass rush that Todd Bowles has in Tampa Bay. Green Bay actually won time of possession in this game. Tampa Bay just outgained them. 324 yards to 201. And then Green Bay also had two of those picks by Aaron Rodgers. Unlike Aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams had 6 for 61 in this game. His return back from the hamstring injury. But it's... Uh, Green Bay in that NFC North that looks like they're the best team. The Bears are above them right now because they played one more game and won it. still think Green Bay is the best team, but I don't like them on the road. I don't think they're quite there. I don't think their defense is as tough as it needs to be. 
They can run the football, but their offensive line needs to be healthy. I think having Bakhtiari is gigantic for that team. It's one of the best tackles in football that nobody really talks about. And as for Tom Brady, didn't really have to do all that much, threw for 166 yards, had two touchdowns. The rest was just Ronald Jones on the ground. Leonard Fournette did not dress in this game, but Rojo looks like he's winning that job, and he deserves it because he's playing really, really well. Alrighty, so this is obviously being recorded. I shouldn't say obviously because it's not obvious, but this is being recorded before the Rams take on the 49ers. So you guys watch that game and enjoy it. As for this podcast, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Please rate, subscribe, review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you guys listen and digest this audio, please. Hope you guys enjoy it. So, hey, have a good one. Be safe. Take care. And we'll talk to you next week. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on Home mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.